Welcome to the teaching ministry of Faith Bible Church. We pray as you listen to the following message, you will be encouraged and equipped to passionately pursue Christ. For more information, please visit our website at fbcevansville.com. When we began this series, we began looking at God's desire to reach the nations. I just remembered, fellas, I don't have the clicker. If one of you would be so kind to walk it up to me for the slides, I appreciate that. It was God's desire to reach the nations. And of course, his design to do that is through beautiful feet, uh, to use his people to share the gospel with the lost world, and by doing so, having beautiful feet. Started, of course, with Adam and Eve in the garden with the dominion mandate, telling them to fill the world, right? And if they would have filled the world at that point in time, they would have been filling the world with image-bearing, God-glorifying children of his, worshiping full earth, worshiping the Lord and fearing him and glorifying him with their life. Of course, we know that did not play out that way. And this was continued through the second and true and better Adam in Christ. We read that more fully in Romans, as Paul describes and helps us understand that what God began in Adam and Adam failed to do, God is completing through the work and life of Christ and is still completing that through his church today, slowly creating image-bearing, God-glorifying children of God that will one day, of course, complete itself um, in the end. But before that day comes, before that day comes, of course, there is a mission for us um, that we get to be his, his hands and his, his feet, his beautiful feet. Of course, we don't always think of feet as beautiful, and you may not think of yourself when you think of the role you made to play in the kingdom of God. You probably think of yourself as the awkward sideways pinky toe. That's how I often think of myself. I have awkward sideways pinky toes. It's a patent privilege. Um, it, it's a thing, right? Hobson's, you can back me up on this. That is a genetic trait, right? That it's a dominant genetic trait even. So if you want to get away from it, you can't because it's a dominant gene. You're going to get it. So all of my children have, have my sideways pinky toes. And that may be how you view yourself in the kingdom of God. But each and every single person, each and every single member of the body of Christ has a role to play, has a role to play. The question is, is how are we going to get there? Functionally, how is this going to play out? We know what the mission is, and we know how God desires to see it end in Revelation 7. We'll take a look at that in just a second. But the question is, is what is the master's plan? We know what A is. We know what B is. But how do we get from A to B? Think about that a lot. As a point of reference, I just wanted to share with you guys, there have been a a litany of resources and sermons and articles and books that I've read over the years, but one book is probably going to bleed through more than any this morning for our content, and that's the small little book written by Robert Coleman called The Master Plan of Evangelism, which is, of course, where much of my title came from, The Master Plan of Evangelism. So if anybody wants to hear this much more waxed poetically than what I'm going to share with you this morning, just grab this book, read it. You'll be far more thankful probably than your time this morning. Um, but it's a great book. I would encourage you all to it, The Master Plan of Evangelism. So as we consider this master's plan, um, question for you guys is, is, what was the master's plan? So that's what we're going to look at. First and foremost, through the earthly um, working of, of God through his church, and then later through the earthly working of Christ while he was here on earth. So we'll begin at the beginning. Nowhere better to begin than at the beginning. In John chapter 1, we read that in the beginning 
was the Word, and the Word became flesh. In the year of our Lord, when the Word became flesh, Christ entered the world, it was very different, and it was very similar to what it is today, matter of fact. Some of the ways that it was very different, if you guys could hit that first slide, apologies. If someone can grab that clicker, I'll gladly, I'll gladly click along myself here for you guys. But the world that Christ entered was very different today in a few ways. One of the ways that it was different, they're bringing it, don't worry, Dan. They're bringing it. One of the ways that it was very different was population, as you guys see up there. This is just a simple Google search, so if any of these numbers are out of date, forgive me. But in the, thank you. In the years that Christ worked the earth, many scholars believe there were somewhere around 300 million people on the earth. Now, by point of reference, for us to be able to understand, be able to grip our heads around that, America is just a little over 300 million people today, 333 estimated. And so that would have been the entire world population, potentially, which is kind of crazy to think. That would have been the world that he was entering into. Very different than today, but still, lots of people. If you wanted to get the word out you know, on anything, say you were opening up a small business in America, right, and you wanted to get the word out, and you wanted people to know about your small business, covering 333 million people is still a lot of people to reach. Now, one of the ways that the world was very different, once again, than it is today, would have been communication. Communication would have looked very differently, obviously, today than it did then. If you were opening a small business today, or you're trying something, maybe there was some new life-saving measure for cancer or something, and you wanted people to know about it, you'd probably create a web page or something like that very quickly, right? How can I reach millions of people instantly? I'm going to use the internet, right? Or so many other forms of text messaging. Uh, president Trump and I text back and forth all the time, apparently. I get text messages from the president, right? Uh, you can mass text message people um, to be able to reach millions and millions of people, or perhaps a radio broadcast, Right? Technology looks incredibly different today than it did back then. Or you could, um, you know, the, the cheesy way to propose, you could hire a pilot and write, you know, something in the sky, but that would be a great way. You could reach maybe hundreds or thousands of people that way. It wouldn't be one at a time, but it would still be, you know, far more efficient, seemingly, than maybe one at a time. Or if there was somebody <clears throat> maybe in an area that was unreachable by internet, by radio, you know, in a faraway jungle, still we would have the technology to fly overhead and we could drop leaflets over them, right? That's what many missionaries have done in some ways. Uh, even, um, well, we're going to talk about the Elliots here in a little bit, right? That was one of the first things they did was they used planes to be able to drop things down and communicate with the Aka Indians. Maybe that would be a way to get the word out different today as compared to during Christ's time. But of course, none of those were an option during Jesus' earthly ministry when he was here, right? But there was better communication during his time, to be fair, than there is today. With the Romans and during the Roman era came all the roads. That's right. All roads lead to Rome, as it is said. And the Romans were great at building roads. They were great at dominating civilizations, but they were also good at building roads. And one of the primary reasons, other than commerce and trade, was communication. The ability for people to get from one place to another, for couriers to bring information from one place to another, was greatly benefited by these roads. And so communication was actually better in its time, to be fair, then than it was historically previous to that, which is maybe one of the reasons that God sovereignly chose that era as when the time was fulfilled for Christ to come. So it was a very different day 
during Christ's day than it is today. But there were many ways that it was the same. Namely, most importantly, one. And the one way that it was the same is the people that filled it. The people that filled the world then are very similar to the people that fill the world today. There was tons of people that were made to be in the image of God that were, because of their sins, separated and alienated from God. In desperate need of a savior. Some sensed it. There were some that were seemingly searching and looking for the Messiah, but there were many that were hurling towards a Christless eternity that had zero idea how to fulfill the eternal longings of their heart. The spiritual condition um, might be said to be matched by what is described in Genesis 6 before the flood or what is described by Israel when there was no king and the Lord looked down on the wickedness of men was great in the earth. Every intentions of their thoughts were only evil continually. Perhaps during this era, now there was no Israel king. There was a, a Caesar, yes, that was ruling over Israel, but there was no king that was ruling in the fear of the Lord. There was no king that was leading his people to love and serve the Lord like maybe during the golden eras, during David or others. And so it would have been much like judges. In those days, there was no king and everyone just did what was right in their own eyes. You know, one of the other things that would have been very different is there was no living prophet, right? For hundreds of years, seemingly, God had been silent. There was no living prophet during that era, and then, of course, until came John the Baptist. This means that there was no eyewitness accounts. There was no living eyewitness accounts that could have passed it down either, right? If it was 400 or more years, even the grandparents wouldn't have been able to give eyewitness accounts to anything. Now, God had given his Old Testament word, but those who were commanded to be stewards of God's Old Testament word were faithless, where God desired to have freedom, bondage reigned. And the Pharisees created the law into a yoke for his people, where God desired life really was just the test, taste of death. And instead of light piercing through darkness, there was just only greater confusion and distortion of God's word. There's poor leadership of God's people. This is the world that Christ entered. Enter the word, become flesh. As Christ entered the world in time and space, he came with a purpose. And of course, that purpose, as we talked about just a moment ago, was this in Revelation 7. What God designed and desired and began in Genesis chapter 3, this is what he was going to bring to fulfillment in Revelation chapter 7, that there would be a great multitude one day of all nations, of all tribes, of all peoples worshiping before the throne. It was failed at the beginning, but Christ was coming to bring this to, complete, to completion. And the question, of course, is what is the master's plan to get us there? How are we going to get there? We know God's going to do it. We know it's going to happen. The only question is, is how is he going to get us there practically, functionally? What is God's plan to get us to Revelation chapter 7? And how do we get to be a part? How do we get to be a part? One of the ways that might be helpful is to consider, well, okay, how has God done it over the generations? Or what are some of the amazing ways that we have seen God work, getting the gospel out, moving powerfully in the world throughout the history of the church, which is your six dashes there. So for those of you who love to take notes, there you go. Here's your chance. You're going to get to write some stuff down. Um, hopefully it's helpful. 
One of the first things that comes to mind, uh, first couple of lines there, are just going to be the ways that God has worked in the life of children over the years through the church. Just a couple of recent examples. Uh, first and foremost, I think of weekend retreats of children's ministry. So these would be things like Camp Reveal, VBS, Awana. Some churches do Awana. I don't think we really do Awana. I don't know much about it, so if you've got a problem with Awana, I'm not trying to advocate for it. It's not the purpose of this. But Camp Reveal, VBS, a lot of great things have happened over those type of ministries. I firsthand have got to be the beneficiary of seeing God work powerfully through these ministries over the years. It's just a great focused period of time where you get to share the word of God you know, with children without the distractions of the world. There's no Nintendo, there's no Sony PlayStation, none of those things to distract, right? You just get to build relationships with them, love on them, and actually get to help them be in the world, which, you know, in nature is in and within itself, revelatory of God, right? Of God's general revelation. Um, often many of these retreats will happen out in nature or something like that. It's just very helpful to get away from the distractions of the world. But sometimes these times of ministry can also be really discouraging, <laughs> if you're honest. I don't know, how many people in this room have served in this context, either at a camp reveal or a VBS? I really am curious. Okay almost literally all of you. So you all know where I'm coming from. If you have ever tried to share the gospel with a child, you too know what it's like to bang your head against a brick wall. It feels that way sometimes, but God is so gracious. I'm always reminded of a story of a young man who was working at VBS and uh, just felt like he was getting nowhere. Um, really felt like, is, is God really using this? Yes, sometimes it's hard to know. You feel like you see kids picking their nose more often than it seems like they're paying attention. And you're just wondering, is, is God really using this? Is this really effective? Is this really helpful, fruitful for the kingdom of God? Is this really going to bring about Revelation 7, right? Is this really helpful ministry for the kingdom of God? And you feel a little insignificant at times. And this young man was wrestling with that and feeling that way. Felt like he was frustrated over his investment and just didn't know. He just wanted to know he was glorifying God in his labors. Wanted to feel like he was truly being helpful, fruitful. Kids kept being distracted. Wasn't sure if he was very effective in sharing the gospel with young children. Hadn't done that very much. Felt like he was better with adults more times than not. Many months passed. And then a mother of one of the young children that was in his class was following up with one of her children. And they'd recently professed faith in Christ. And of course, this young man had no idea. She shared that with his husband, or with his wife, excuse me, and she shared that with him, and he was floored, right? Just absolutely floored to know. And the reason he was floored is because the young boy said it was VBS. Now, of course, there was many investments in this young child's life over the years and generations, of course. But that young man who felt frustrated and felt like he was making no impact for the kingdom of God, wasn't even sure if anybody was paying attention, got to play a part in that young child's profession of faith. Now, time will prove whether or not that profession was true and, of course, fruitful for eternity, but praise God, right? Praise God. These opportunities, these ministries are exactly what Christ was getting at when he says, let the little children come to me and do not hinder them, right? For the kingdom of heaven belongs to such as these. Also, not just weekend opportunities, so that would be your number one, but your number two would be, you know, weekly ministry opportunities with kiddos, right? And of course, we think of YDM or Epic here, but there's, you know, weekly Bible studies or Sunday schools and stuff like that that many of us have been a part of growing up. I'm sure many of us, if we grew up going to church that are sitting here this morning, right, have benefited from some kind of weekly children's youth ministry like that. 
as an incredible opportunity to be able to mold soft clay before the scars and years of the world harden and make you brittle. So it's a great opportunity to get to be a part of. Maybe this is one that you've not had the opportunity to be a part of, but could serve in yourself, make an impact for the kingdom. Uh, this particular ministry at Faith Bible has been served well um, by a few faithful leaders. Um, I believe it began with Justin. Forgive me if I'm forgetting somebody and not um, recognizing them, but I know that Justin Geyer served in that context for many years. I'm slowly waiting for Bryce to shake his head, right? Yes, yes, it was. And then, of course, Dave Cannon and so many others that have served in this kind of context, blessing our church. And of course, once again, you can very easily, with young children, wonder, how is this bringing about Revelation chapter 7? How is this a part of the eternal workings and plan for Christ to bring the nations to himself? And sometimes we can feel like our labors are insignificant or small, not leaving a legacy, an impact. If you need to know the legacy of ministering in this context, you need to look no further than the ministry of the word of the man who will be standing in the pulpit behind me this morning. There are many that made an impact on Pastor Beale's life, I'm sure, over the years, but we would be naive to think that the many faithful men and women who have shared an epic and YDM over the years did not make an impact on his life. Every week, we get to drink deep the blessings of the ministry of YDM and epic. Now, I guarantee you, very few of them probably thought in that morning that they were going to make an impact for the ministry of the word when they were YDM right, or laboring in epic. I doubt many of them ever maybe felt competent or able to be able to share in that kind of capacity, right? But by ministering and loving on the young children of our church, they've made an impact for the ministry of the word every single week here at Faith Bible Church, now through the fruit and life and faithfulness of Bryce. There are others that have gone into full-time missions as a result of that, and there are many capacity who probably didn't feel like they were competent or able or personally called to go into full-time missions, but they made an impact for the nations, for some who have gone overseas by ministering to these young children. Do not hold them back, right? To minister to these young children is to minister to the nations. You don't know how God is going to use even the most humble faithfulness for the kingdom of God in bringing about his eternal purposes. I'm often reminded as well by a, a simple Sunday school teacher, a very nervous Sunday school teacher. He, for many months, even years, would, would, would share with his kiddos, but, but felt a, an extra calling and burden to try to get time with them outside of a weekly context of you know, sharing with the kiddos that were coming to his class. You have to forgive me, I don't remember the exact age of, of the kiddos. But this simple Sunday school teacher just had a desire to intentionally follow up individually with some of the young men in his group. He was very nervous, didn't feel very competent or able to be able to do so. But this man's name, it's going to give away the story now, was Edward Kimball. And Edward Kimball, week after week, for quite a while, really struggled with just fear of just saying anything and reaching out individually, right? He's really ministering out of weakness. And finally, one day, has the bravery and reaches out to this young man, at the time, who became known as D.L. Moody. And many of you may or may not know who D.L. Moody is, but became an incredibly powerful pastor and evangelist that was incredibly used by God over the years. But D.L. Moody came into the kingdom of God, first and foremost, through the power of God, but was used by a humble, faithful servant who had beautiful 
feet. And not many people who were influenced or helped through the ministry of D.L. Moody probably ever even knew the name Edward Kimball, but D.L. Moody was ushered into the kingdom through the faithful ministry of a fearful Sunday school teacher. That's all. Faithfulness, simple faithfulness, week in and week out. Maybe you have a passion for children's ministry, maybe not, and that's okay if you do or you don't, but hopefully the message is starting to get through. It's just simple faithfulness. Simple faithfulness is what God is looking for to usher into his kingdom and to bring about Revelation chapter seven. We all get to be a part in whatever humble means. Opportunities for impact, of course, are not limited to children's ministries. So we're gonna move on, number three. Um, But many come to know the Lord as adults. I was, you know, in college myself personally when I came to know the Lord. And so there's lots of ways that God has influenced over the years and generations. And not all of these are limited to adults. Of course, I imagine, I guess, younger folks could have been impacted by some of these ministry events. Um, But often, these were very helpful for adults. As a kid, I remember I grew up in Church of God, if any of you are familiar with the Assembly or Church of God, and they were all about their weekend revivals and tent meetings. I don't know if you guys remember these back in the day. You grew up in the Bible Belt, you see this, and there's just something that makes you desire fried chicken and going to a tent meeting. Mm. Uh, But God used these a lot over the years and generations, right? Just a good old, give me that good old church or whatever it was called. I can't can't really remember. but tent meetings, weekend revivals, that was a very big thing for many, many years and generations that folks would get together and really there would be an entire weekend of, of preachers or evangelists that would come and share powerfully the gospel. And many would come to know the Lord genuinely. There would be some that maybe it wasn't true or genuine, but God would use these times of sharing his message faithfully. Now, over the generations, this has adapted and been contextualized to things like men's and women's retreats, or we've got the, uh, what's the guy's retreat coming up? What's it called? Uh, men of faith? Men of courage? Act like men. Yeah, that's what I said. Act like men. Yeah, that's coming up. Um, right? Men's and women's retreats that are coming up. Married couple retreats. Singles retreats. Um, Crystalis. I'm not advocating, you know, one way or the other for anything. Once again, I just know that's a retreat that sometimes, you know, will be used. This is called institutional evangelism, right? There are these pre-planned opportunities to bring people a part of things, right? And this is a way you can be evangelistic. Hey, why don't you just come with me to this meeting? Why don't you just come with me to this event? That's a way to have beautiful feet. Take advantage of the institutional opportunities that are being provided by your local body of Christ or church or what have you to impact others for Christ. Absolutely. Of course, you can't speak of weekend revivals without thinking about, of course, maybe the biggest revival that's ever happened here in America, right, or abroad with the Great Awakening. There were many incredible pastors and preachers and evangelists that were used during this time of the Great Awakening, Um, one of which, of course, namely George Whitfield. Many of you probably heard of George Whitfield. Um, He was probably considered one of the greatest orators of his time. It would have been neat to be able to sit underneath just a sermon, right, or a talk of George Whitfield. Many times he would be traveling from place to place during this time of the Great Awakening, um, and he couldn't even get where he was trying to go because so many people would just huddle around him, and he would literally have to get up on a box, which is probably part of where the idea of preaching on a soapbox comes from, right? People would literally get up on a box so they could project their voice and be seen by the hundreds, if not thousands, of people, you know, around them. 
he would be known for having such great volume as he was speaking that people could hear him from blocks away. Of course, there wasn't microphones and awesome stuff like this um, to be able to be heard, and he could project his voice for blocks and blocks. Now, uh, there was an actor during his time as well who said he was so smooth and good with his speech that he would have, quote, unquote, I would give 100 guinea if I could just say the word, oh, like Mr. Whitfield. Now, I, I went and did the math, and 100 guinea in today's dollars is junk ton of money. That's uh, a lot of money. Um, I don't know the exact exchange rate on that, um, but it seemed like it was a lot of money. He was a great speaker, used powerfully by God during his time. And of course, John Edwards, not knowing for necessarily being a great speaker, but of course, a great preacher powerfully just preaching the word of God. Some would say even very bad in his delivery, though some historians would say that that's maybe a little, you know, oversold and being bad in his delivery, but famously known for, of course, his sermon, Sinners in the Hands of an Angry God. Just multitudes and multitudes of people. Actually, it wasn't even his own church, I don't think, when he first delivered that sermon of people just coming to know the Lord through the preaching of the word of God. Powerfully used. So tent meetings, weekend meetings, revivals, a, a great institutional evangelistic opportunity to be able to witness to others. And there are you know, contextualized recent versions of that. Of course, you can't speak of things going abroad without thinking of missions, without thinking of missions. Perhaps you know, missions is something that God has geared your heart towards. This is definitely a way that God has used his church over the years, right, to expand and bring about Revelation chapter 7. It's one of the easiest things probably for us to think of is missions. First missionary from the States was Adoniram Judson. Adoniram Judson. He was a missionary at the time to the Burmese, now a country called Myanmar. He spent over 40 years in this country giving his blood, sweat, and tears to this people. And the neat thing is, is if Christ came back today, there would be Burmese before the throne worshiping Christ. Praise God. I had the privilege of talking about the Elliots not too long ago. Jim Elliot, famously known for his phrase, he is no fool who gives up what he cannot keep to gain what he cannot lose. Jim and Elizabeth Elliot are well known for, it was a team of people who went down to Southern America to eventually minister to what it was as the Aka Indians. And Jim poured out his blood, sweat, and tears, and literally his blood filled the soil for the Aka Indians. But it ultimately was not Jim's spilt blood that brought the Akas to know Christ. It was Christ's spilt blood that brought the Akas to know Christ. And if Christ were to come back today, there would be Aka Indians worshiping before the throne. You know, it's easy to think as we think about all the different ways, whether it be missions, I've got your list here, whether it be missions or missionaries or pastors or preachers or evangelists, revival tent meetings, incredible evangelists coming and speaking, one of the more modern ones, Billy Graham, I forgot to mention him earlier. We had a picture of him. Or even the people who have served in children's ministries. You think of the incredible leadership gifts of so many who share, you know, Kim Gilock and others that are leading these ministries. And if you're anything like me, you, you tend to put them up a little bit on a pedestal. 
almost think of them as heroes of faith, right? You think of Jim Elliott. We did an entire sermon, right, on Jim and Elizabeth Elliott or a Sunday school class, right? Um, and missionaries. We talk about the missionaries. We talk about the great preachers and evangelists during classes and stuff. And we kind of lift them up and think about them as heroes over the epics of time. But to be honest, these folks were anything but heroes. They were anything but heroes. And Christ's method, that's what we're going to get into now, the master's plan, the master's plan of evangelism to reach the nations, of getting to be a part of Revelation chapter 7, was really anything but going after the heroes of his time. I mean, the greatest descriptions of the, of the apostles that I came across in the Gospels was untrained, unlearned men. As others looked at these apostles and how Christ was using them, they took note because they were untrained, unlearned men. But what was noteworthy about them was Christ. It was Christ. They took note because they had been with Christ. The only thing noteworthy about these men was that they had been with Christ. Well, that's a qualification I can meet. That's about it. I don't know if I could say, you know, be a great pastor or preacher or evangelist or great leadership skills or missionary to the 1040 window, but that is a prerequisite that if you love Jesus this morning, you too meet. Praise God. <laughs> Praise God. There's only room for one hero in the kingdom of God. His name is Christ. One King of Kings, one Lord of Lords. There's one true hero, and the hero is Christ. If you listen to these examples of how God has brought about his kingdom of God and is expanding forward towards Revelation chapter 7, and you felt a little insufficient measuring up to how some of these people have served, good. That's okay. You might be exactly where you need to be to be better used to be a part of God's kingdom purposes. If you've listened to the gifts and the abilities and the, the high measure of sacrifice that some of these missionaries have given, literally giving their life away, and you feel like you don't measure up, that's okay. You may be exactly where you need to be for God to be moving you into the next level of faithfulness of being useful for the kingdom of God, for the kingdom of God. God is not looking for incredible leaders per se. Leaders are great. Leaders are good. Leaders are God-given. Leaders are God-called. God has used leaders in his kingdom of God each and every step of the way to move forward his people. But what he is looking for exclusively in every single person in the kingdom of God is not just leaders, it's laborers. It's laborers. Faithful men and women, put simply, are his method. Faithful men and women are his method don't see ourselves as leaders. Most of us don't see ourselves as great people of faith or anything like that. And God is not looking to have someone who would be elevated in other people's mind. He's looking for someone who would elevate Christ in other people's minds, to lift him up, to hold him up high. That is what he's looking for. And that is what Christ was calling with his disciples. As his ministry was growing, as Jesus' popularity was building and Matthew chapter 9, as we observe, he was going about teaching from the villages. He was healing sicknesses. He was preaching. And multitudes of people began to gather around him. Now, some of them because they were just hungry and they were hoping, you know, he'd turn a bunch of loaves into a bunch of more loaves and a bunch of fish into a bunch of more fish. Sure, absolutely. There are many people who gather around ministries for the wrong reasons at times. Absolutely. God can still reach them. I was one of those people. I was one of those people. 
But as Christ looked over the multitudes of people, he was literally moved to sickness in his stomach because they were harassed and helpless like sheep without a shepherd. In that moment, you have quite possibly the most impactful preacher that's ever lived on the face of the planet standing before the multitudes. You have quite possibly, arguably, the greatest evangelist that ever could be, literally God in the flesh, standing before the multitudes. You have a person who is literally the exact imprint and the nature of God in the flesh, standing before the multitudes. You have someone who is completely full of the spirit and power, standing before the multitudes. Does he preach? No. He turns to his disciples and he tells them to pray. Now, think about that for a second. Jesus could have had the most powerful earthly ministry you ever possibly could have imagined. He could have literally said, come. And every single person he demanded to come would have come and believed because his gifts and calling are irrevocable. His love is so infectious. There is nothing that is not desirable about God if he truly calls and opens up his love and grace to a person. Yet Jesus' method was men and women. Faithful men and women, humbly being used. Why? We have to ask ourselves, why? He told them to pray, to pray that God would send laborers into his harvest field. Laborers into his harvest field, because the harvest is plentiful, but the laborers are few. You see, some 2,000 years ago, the word became flesh, and he dwelt among us, and he had an earthly ministry, and the master had a plan. He had a plan of how he was going to go about his ministry for a reason. And the reason was a couplefold, a couplefold. First and foremost, you think about it this way why does God do everything that he does? Why does God do everything that he does? He does it for his glory. God does everything he does for his glory. Look no further than the cross. Why in the world would God allow sin to come into the world for his glory? Because now the cross will happen. And there was no moment more glorious than the cross where God's love, his kindness, his wrath, his justice, his compassion, his forgiveness, everything is seen in that moment. The glory of the cross. All of heaven will be cross-centered and rightfully so. God does everything he does for his glory. And it was no different than Jesus' earthly mission while he was here. The other wonderful thing about why Christ does his earthly mission the way he does through faithful, humble, simple laborers like you and I is we all get to be a part. You think of Jesus' ministry. I mean, he could have gone from synagogue to synagogue, drawing multitudes and thousands at a time to himself everywhere he went, right? He could have had thousands of disciples, not 12, and even one of them wasn't true or genuine at the time, right? Never. He could have gone to every single town, snapped his fingers, and they would have believed if he wanted to. That, I mean, God could have done what he wanted to. He could have shared the gospel and all would have come to know him and trust in him. Yet he had a humble, simple method of pouring into faithful men and women, helping them come to know him, and then sending them out to be laborers and to his harvest field. If we need to know why God was up to what he was up to, we need to look no further than Paul's words. 2 Corinthians. God said to Paul, when Paul was begging for this thorn to be removed from his flesh, my grace is sufficient for you, for my power is made perfect in weakness. 
course, Paul says, therefore, I will boast all the more gladly in my weaknesses that your power may rest upon me. God loves using weak, humble, but faithful men and women like you and I. Why? So that when he works powerfully in the lives of others, they won't look at us. (laughs) All they'll see is Christ and he will get all the glory, all the glory. And the other wonderful part is it not only maximizes God's glory by using faithful, having beautiful feet, it also means that we get to be a part If Jesus' method was to raise up incredible leaders and only exclusively incredible leaders or pastors or evangelists or missionaries or whatever it might be, people with great leadership skills, not many of us would actually get an opportunity to be a part of the message of reconciliation. Or we definitely at least wouldn't feel competent or able to be a part of the message of reconciliation. And God has so designed it that he not only gets his most glory, but includes all of his people. Every single one of us. God didn't choose Israel because they were the largest. He didn't choose Israel because they were the greatest or the most affluent or had the most smart people. He chose them because they were the least, that he might get the most glory by raising them up. What is it that makes you special? The only thing that makes you special is that God chose you. What is it that makes you lovable? What makes you lovable is that God loved you. And now is slowly, through progressive sanctification, making you more lovable. What is it that allowed us to and repentance and faith? Is that we were called. And what is it that calls us to be laborers is that we were commanded and sent. When Jesus called his apostles, or at the time his disciples to himself in Matthew chapter 9, told them to pray earnestly that the Lord of the harvest might send laborers into his harvest field. They, they did, I'm sure. They began to pray that God would send laborers into his harvest field. But what I don't think they realized at the time is that just a few short chapters later, at the end of Jesus' earthly ministry, he was going to turn to his apostles and say, hey, you're the answer to your own prayers. Go. Go. All authority on heaven and earth has been given to me. You, therefore, go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. And know this, I'll be with you always, even to the end. God's method is men. God's method is women. Simple, humble, faithful laborers in the harvest field. He doesn't need the smartest. He doesn't need the best speaking, the most eloquent. He just needs faithful, God-fearing, God-loving men and women who have been changed by grace and are motivated by that grace to go share the gospel with others. That is his simple, profound, incredible method. That's the master's plan. If the world were to come up with a plan, it would look much like what we thought Jesus' earthly ministry should have looked like, with smoke and mirrors and great authority and people upon multitudes and multitudes coming to know Christ. But honestly, it was an incredibly humble earthly ministry when you compare it to some of the earthly ministries of even some of the laborers over the generations, like Billy Graham and others, of thousands of people proclaiming to have come to know Christ. And God's method is so simple because he gets the most glory and we all get to be a part. We all get to be a part, not out of strength, but rather out of weakness. But by the power of God, the backbone of God's strategy to reach the world for Christ doesn't make sense to the world because quite honestly, God does not do things the world the way the world does it. He does not look at things the way the world looks. 
He sees not how the world sees. The world looks at the outward appearance. God looks to the heart, right? And his thoughts are not like our thoughts. As high as the heavens are above the earth, so too are his thoughts above our thoughts and his ways above our ways. Simple faithfulness, laborers, day in and day out, day in and day out. That's what God is calling us to. His methods and purposes are not about our glory, but his glory, and we get to be included as a result of that. There's no distinction in the kingdom of God. There isn't just for leaders and great, great evangelists or pastors or missionaries in the faith. Every single one of us get to be a part and get to play a role. The faithful parent, stay-at-home mom, stay-at-home dad, who's sharing the gospel with their kids, whether young or old, day in and day out, you're a laborer in the harvest field. The faithful neighbor who's been getting to know them for years and years and then one of the spouses is now remaining because the other has left and you're going through a divorce and there's an opportunity for you to now love on this neighbor as they're going through this divorce. Laborer in the harvest field. The coworker in your life that you've been getting to know slowly over the years as you just try to grind and grind day in and day out, honestly just trying to, right, Serve the Lord in your job, not as to men, but as unto the Lord. And then one day you get an opportunity to share with them the hope that is within you. You are a laborer in the harvest field. The extended family member who passes away and then the whole family gets together and you're seeing people you haven't seen for years, but from a distance on Facebook or through the family line, they've heard about your life and how something is different about your life. You have an opportunity to be a laborer in the harvest field. In all of these instances and more, the world would not look at it and call us heroes, but God would look at it and call it his plan. It is the master's plan to evangelize the world by using faithful men and women as laborers in his harvest field right where you are, right where you are. There's only one room for one hero in the gospel, and that hero is Christ. Day in and day out faithfulness of laborers sharing that Christ with the world. That is what God is looking for. His method is to raise up faithful men and women who will be faithful and beautiful laborers in his harvest field who have beautiful feet, who have beautiful feet. So how are we doing Faith Bible Church? What are the areas that God is challenging you, calling you to be more faithful in this harvest field? Is it a neighbor? Is it a friend? Is it a coworker? Who is it that you've been praying for as we've been going through this class? Is God giving you an opportunity to use any of the tools that we've been working on? The bridge diagram, the law diagram, sharing your personal testimony of how God has helped you come to know Christ himself? Beautiful theology must lead to beautiful feet. And beautiful feet will lead to beautiful laborers. And if you labor in his harvest field, God is faithful and there will be beautiful fruit. And that beautiful fruit must be stewarded which means we have to have beautiful disciples. And discipleship is what we will talk about next week. Let me pray. Father God, we thank you. Lord, we thank you that it is your plan and method to allow all of us to get to be a part of your message of reconciliation, that God, you are so gracious. You could have done all of this yourself if you desired. Lord, you could have called each and every single person powerfully yourself if you so desired. You could write the gospel in the sky. You could make the rocks shout, Lord, but you designed and desired 
and designed it to be your maximum glory that you would use your humble people, us. And you have allowed us to get to be a part of this message of reconciliation to de- and to let the nations be glad and to know you. God, that we would get to be a part of helping see someone's eternity change. What a privilege. What a gift. Lord, we pray that you would be honored and glorified in our humble acts of service, whether it be teaching a Sunday school class or sharing with a child at VBS or finally reaching out to that neighbor out of fear, that God, we pray that your love and faithfulness would compel us to overcome that fear and that God, you would be glorified in these, hum- in these humble acts of service that we present. And that God, even in this lifetime, this side of eternity, we may never know the extent of which you, God, have used that to bring about Revelation chapter seven, but God, we can be confident that God, it is, is those exact actions and faithfulness that you are looking for, Father, faithful, humble laborers in your harvest field to the most unknown reaches of the world, the people that no one is targeting, no one is looking after, no one is going after, God. You sovereignly have placed us in every area of our life that we are, whether it be our job or where we live or who we're related to, who we've married. God, you are sovereign over each and every last single one of those things. And so, Father, we just pray that we would be faithful where you have us, that, God, we would have beautiful feet that lead us to be beautiful laborers into your harvest field, and that, God, we would have the opportunity to make more and more beautiful disciples, men and women who would stand before the throne one day, not because of us, but because of you, worshiping Christ alongside of us. Lord, Maranatha, make it be. And we pray all these things in Christ's name.